All right, you guys doing all right? So I had lunch on Friday with my new bestie, Dave Sloop, and I didn't know that it was his birthday. So as a public act of repentance, I want you all to know that uh, it was Sloop's birthday. Where are you, dude? There he is, Dave's birthday. Hey, happy birthday. He's 57, or he will be someday. Okay, so you guys, it is always my fondest hope whenever I'm with you guys on a Sunday morning to do two things. No matter what the text is, no matter what the topic is, my secret mission is this. I always want you to leave this room believing that God's word is filled with treasure, number one, and number two, that you can find it. And the reason I love to do that is that when I was a college student, some people did that for me. And it absolutely changed everything about my life. I became convinced that God's word is filled with treasure and that I could find it. It didn't begin that I was able to find it. In fact, I was a rather incompetent student when I was first beginning to learn this thing. But some very kind people helped me. And it was like, I think of, and I used to think of, and I still do, I think of the Bible as being like a mountain, like this giant rock. And inside the rock, there are these, these veins of gold. Inside the rock, there are these gems, these jewels, these treasures. Um, but the mountain's opaque, and the rock, it's hard to see through rock. But some people came into my life, and they began to, like, tunnel into the mountain for me. And as they did, they, like, they'd, they would they'd go in there with a pickaxe, and they'd come here, come here, come here, let me show you this. Look at this. And I would go in, and I would see the things that they had mined to find that were there. And that's really what I became convinced that really, it was full of treasure. But I knew that I couldn't find it. I didn't know what to do about it. And, in fact, sometimes people would show me things, and it just looked like a rock. And I, didn't, I couldn't see it. But every once in a while, I would begin to notice that there were shiny things. There was gold. There were gems. And then on longer intervals, I would do the work myself and learning how to like tunnel in and to make discoveries of my own, to find things in the word that were just delicious. And that was, that was a drug for me to be like, I have to figure this out and to see it and have it make sense. And I absolutely loved it. But there was a particular time, I remember very distinctly, where somebody had told me, that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. The Old Testament made 300 predictions. And then when this guy Jesus shows up, he like just nails him. He's like checklists, all of these things. And it's one of the reasons that we can have enormous confidence that he really is the Messiah because he fulfilled these things. And so I thought, well, that sounds like a bag of diamonds and I want to see these. And so I began this. I literally had a list of all of these predictions that Jesus supposedly fulfilled. And so I went and I started to look them up to go find these treasures. And do you know what happened when I did that? Is it was incredibly dismaying and incredibly disappointing. Because somebody would say, yeah, the Bible predicted this would happen. And I go and I look it up and I'm like, well, I mean, okay. But first of all, I don't even understand what's happening here. But as near as I can tell, it doesn't say anything about the Messiah. And it seemed to me that what people had done is just ripped these passages out of context, some verse that has some like verbal similarity, and then like glued it on Jesus' forehead and said, behold. And I began to wonder, maybe people aren't being quite honest with me. Maybe it's not quite as simple as people have said. Or, and equally likely, maybe I'm just too stupid to figure this out. Because I'm looking at these things, and I don't know how any reasonable person would have concluded that this was a prediction about the Messiah. Okay? So, if any of that has any kind of resonance for you today, here, then this morning is for you. Because what I would like to do, 
I hope to do in the next, you know, 20 minutes or so is to teach you at least on at least one of these instances what to do with your pickaxe. How do you dig into this mountain? How do we see what it is? Because I really do think that these things on this list, they were diamonds, they are veins of gold, and there's enormously, enormously good news, but it is not anywhere near as simple as I thought they were. Not anywhere near as straightforward. And in fact, I think some of the things that people say about these 300 prophecies just isn't really true because they're not, very often, they're not direct predictions of the Messiah, okay? We're gonna unpack this. By the time our whole time is done, your Christianity will be intact and I hope I get to keep my job and it'll be great. Um, But I do wanna help you unlearn some overly simplistic things um, and challenge some of the things that you've probably been told that aren't quite true. You ready? It's going to be good. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Isaiah 7. And I want to dig a tunnel with you. I want to show you what's in this thing. And I think, my, my, I hope that within 20 minutes, it's going to look like a diamond. But not before it doesn't. Okay? We've got to take it as it comes. Oh, and by the way, even as I tell you to look at your Bible in, in Isaiah 7, you can do that. But I have the text. It'll be on screen. And the version that I've put on screen is a little bit simplified. What I've done, what we're about to do is a little bit hard, just a little bit. bit, You'll be great, but it's going to be a little bit complicated. And so in order to eliminate some of the complications, I changed the text in a couple of ways. Um, We're going to have a whole bunch of proper names, a lot of characters. And, but sometimes they're described with their name or their father's name or their grandfather's name or their city or, the, or their nation. And it's hard. It's complicated. It's a little bit like when you hear, if you heard in the news today that Putin said thus and such or the Kremlin decreed this or Moscow is doing or Russia is going to, you would know intuitively. Those are all the same thing, right? Because you know that Putin and Moscow and Russia, it's all the same. Um, you probably don't have that same like instant access to these like ancient kings and so when it's the city or the capital or the nation it's confusing so I just simplified it all so it's all going to say the same thing to make it easier I didn't change the meaning of anything I just made it a little bit more accessible so if you're following along and you're like his version's different it is so you can just look at the screen and see it but I I didn't cheat it's all honest okay Um, here's what you're going to meet we're going to be we're going to be in Isaiah 7 and you're going to meet four different characters okay the first one is Ahaz Ahaz is the king of Judah and he's our protagonist, okay? I would like to say that he is the good guy, but he, he, he's horrible. We don't like Ahaz. He is the worst. But he is the main character of the story. He's the guy that we're following. He's the king of the people of God. And so we got Ahaz, okay? Then the next two are his enemies. They are Pekah and Rezin. Pekah is the king of Israel and Aram is the king. I mean, and, uh, Rezin is the king of Aram. And if you look here, you, you might be like, wait, King of Israel, King of Judah, what's the deal with that? So Judah and Israel used to be one nation. They got in a fight, they split up, and now they don't like each other very much. And so what you've got is you've, Ahaz and Pekah are basically the leaders of different nations. Aram and Israel have teamed up. And then our fourth character is Isaiah. He is a good guy. He's not the protagonist, so so to speak, but he's a good guy. We like him. He's going to speak into this kind of very chaotic, very painful situation and, and represent God, speak for God in the midst of it. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to be in Isaiah 7, and it says this. Let's see. Um, Verse 1. It says, oh, by the way, I will warn you, this will be a Christmas message by the time that we're done, but not till the very end, okay? We're going to do it honest, and we're going to let it it say what it actually says and not shoehorn it into some pre-constructed idea, right? We're just going to take it straight. So Isaiah 7. When Ahaz was king of Judah... King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. 
Now, Judah was told, Aram has allied itself with Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Okay, so what's going down here is that Ahaz, he's king of Judah, and he's afraid because his two neighboring enemies have ganged up and they're, they're teaming up on him. It would be a little bit as if Mexico and Canada teamed up and they're going to like, they're going to come attack us, right? So whatever dread you experience to imagine like men in sombreros riding mooses in on their attack, that's Ahaz, okay? He's like, oh, they're coming, right? It's going to be bad, and he's really freaked out about it. He's terrified, he's afraid, highly, highly anxious about this whole mess. And Isaiah is the prophet, and he goes to give a little bit of divine perspective to Ahaz, right? To be like, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Take a look at verse 3, and notice where he meets him, because this is meaningful. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct on the upper pool on the road to Washerman's field. And say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin of Aram and of Pekah of Israel. Okay, where does he meet him? What's their location to this little conference here? Is that the aqueduct? Why is that meaningful? Do you know what's going on here? Do you know how they wage war in this time? What the strategy of Aram and Israel is going to be? What are they going to do, Catherine? That's right. They're going to block that. So the, the, the general strategy is we're going to lay siege to the city. And when you, when you siege a city, you just surround it and you say nothing gets in and nothing gets out. And if one of the things that's not getting in is water then you're not going to last very long, right? And so Ahaz is anxious. He's worried. So he goes to the very center point of his pain. Like, I don't know if we're going to have enough water. How long can we survive this thing? And right there, Isaiah is there to meet him. And he says, hey, Ahaz, it's fine. It's fine. Relax. It's going to be fine. You have nothing to worry about. Don't sweat it. And Ahaz thinks, maybe, right? Does this make sense to you? Do you know this phenomenon? He's here, he's worried, and God meets him and his message is, be calm, don't be afraid. And he hears the voice of God, but he also is hearing the voice of his enemies that are like, I'm gonna kill you. We're gonna come in and we're gonna crush you, we're gonna destroy you. And he doesn't know which voice to believe. Do you sympathize with this? I sympathize acutely with this. There's all kinds of things. And I'm like, I don't know how it's gonna play out. Okay, there's these promises and maybe, but I don't really know how it's gonna go. Right? And that's where Ahaz is. And so God says to Ahaz through Isaiah, verse 7, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is only resin. Within 65 years, Israel will be too shattered to even be a people. Like the nation is going to cease to exist. The head of Israel is only Pekah. And if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And God says, listen, I know they're threatening you. I heard them. I heard, I heard it, but can you hear me? I'm telling you, it's not going to come to pass, okay? Now, I wonder for you in your life, even just right now, are you there? Have you been there where you've lost your job and you don't know if there's a new job coming or there's a relationship that is frayed and it's dripping, you know, it's just kind of like sand through your fingers and you don't know what it is? Or has anybody here, this is going to be a stretch, has anybody here ever worried about their children? Like, how is this going to turn out? Like, I'd, we've done all that we know what to, I don't, right? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your marriage. There's some circumstance and you're anxious and you're worried and you're fretful about it. And then some Christian comes along and says like, don't worry, 
God was with you and you're like, all right, thank you. Like, is there a switch that I can be like, oh, stop worrying. Is that a thing? And you don't know what to do. If there's a switch, I would love to find it. But I don't know what's going to happen. And so in the midst of that, that place of like, don't worry. Like, I don't know how to not worry. Right there, Ahaz hears Isaiah say, okay, I'll tell you what. Let me give you a sign. And here's what a sign is. This is pretty important. A sign is something that's going to happen right now. And when it happens, it gives you confidence. It gives you hope that this later thing that you said is going to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen, that that will happen too, right? So it's like, I've made a prediction about the long-term future, and you're like, yeah, maybe. And so you don't believe me, so I give you like a little immediate short-term prediction. And when that one happens, it's like you can borrow hope from the first experience and apply it to the second experience. That's what a sign is. And so Isaiah says to Ahaz, I'll tell you what, let me give you, I know you don't believe me. I know you don't have the faith, the courage to trust that these guys aren't going to crush your head. So let me give you a sign. Let me give you something that's going to happen right now. And when you see it, you'll be able to be like, okay, okay, all right, maybe, all right. And in fact, your maybe turns into like, maybe, like maybe this will work, right? That's what's supposed to happen, okay? So here's the sign. Back in Isaiah 7. Or actually, first, let's do this. Think about your own. Imagine Christmas is coming. It is. Okay, that's not hard. And imagine what you want for Christmas. Okay? Be outlandish. Be lavish. What would be the, what would be the most extraordinary thing? For me, my entire life, my fondest hope for Christmas was like a Corvette. Right? That my, on my 16th birthday, my 17th birthday, my 18th birthday, I'm 52 years old. Like, my dad's going to give me a Corvette. Right? And imagine that I tell you, you're going to get, you are getting a, did you tell them? Am I ruining the surprise? You're going to get a Corvette for Christmas, right? Um, would you believe me? No, right, okay. But if I were to say that in a minute, a bird is going to whip by these windows, fly around, sneak in the door, come around, circle the, build, circle the room three times, and then land on your shoulder. If that were to happen, would your confidence in Christmas bump, Right? That's what a sign is, okay? And that's what God's going to do here. So take a look at this. Uh, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself, this is Isaiah to Ahaz. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid waste. Okay, first question. Who is the sign given to? Ahaz. That's really important. This is a sign given to Ahaz. When was it given to him? Well, you didn't, I didn't tell you this. Do you know when this is all happening? It's about 700 BC, okay? What is the sign? Like, what's the thing? What's the bird that's going to land on his shoulder? Some woman is going to have a baby. A virgin is going to have a baby, okay? And this is all happening in 700 BC. Not only was the sign given in Ahaz's day, it was fulfilled in Ahaz's day. It had to be fulfilled in Ahaz's day. The very nature of a sign, it has to happen within Ahaz's line of sight. Its job is to reassure him that the longer term thing that's a few years off is going to happen, right? So if we were to, if we were to simply say to Ahaz, hey man, I know you're all freaked out and you're worried these kings gonna ruin, are gonna wreck you, but in order so that you will know that the kings aren't gonna wreck you, in 700 years, long after you're dead, something else is gonna happen. That wouldn't work. That wouldn't do anything for him. Something has to happen. This is a sign given to Ahaz to say, right here, right now, something good is going to happen. And what the sign is, is that there is a young woman. 
Ahaz knows her. She's perhaps in the royal family, perhaps, we don't have much more information at this moment in the story, perhaps she's um, Isaiah's wife, or going to be Isaiah's wife. We'll see where the story, well, not today, but maybe at another time we'll see where the, how this thing gets fulfilled. But whoever she is, there's no anticipation that she's going to marry and have a child, but she will, okay? Now something you need to know is that Hebrew is rich in verbs, but very poor in nouns. And so nouns get used across a broad, stretchy context. And the word for virgin can mean a woman who's never had sex, a virgin as we think of it in the most direct sense, but it can also mean a young woman of marriable age without any reference to her sexual activity. Okay, so in this instance, he's saying a young woman is going to have a child. Now, you could, we could debate on what you think Isaiah means about this, but I will suggest to you that there is one and only one person in the history of the world who was ever born of a woman who had never had sex. And that was Jesus. And there's something happening in Ahaz's life prior to that, okay? And I think that all of the meaning of what's going on here militates that this term, as Isaiah is using it, it has a stretchy meaning, but that first instance is about a young woman, okay? This woman, in Ahaz's time, is a virgin, maybe in the most absolute sense at the time the prophecy is given, but she is going to conceive in a normal way and have a child in the normal way. She'll name him Emmanuel. They'll call him Manny. And Ahaz, when this happens, when this surprise pregnancy shows up, pay attention. Because this child is going to become the signpost for you. Before this kid's, I don't know when they start eating, like two or something. Before this kid is like 18 months or 24 months or something. They're still pretty short. Um, the land of the kings that you dread will be laid waste. And it's going to be fine. It's going to happen for you. It's going to happen now. And all will be well. Relax. Calm down. And if you don't trust me, trust the sign that you're about to see. Okay? Make sense? Now, don't worry. Christianity will be intact. Okay? Just stay with me. Um, that was a historical event. It took place in Ahaz's day. It was, had to take place in Ahaz's day. Not, hey, in 700 years there'll be a Messiah. It's something going on right here, right now. It did. It was done. Except not done. Because this passage like countless of other passages in the Old Testament, is not merely about its own moment, although it is certainly and first that, but it also secondarily points to Christ. So I want you to think with me what was happening in this moment, okay? And we're gonna, we're gonna I'll make a list for you so you can kind of keep track with me. Number one, look at this. The first thing that I want you to see is that there's a group of people that are in distress and they're facing an enemy that can destroy them. And they are afraid. And into this moment, into this situation, God says, I will rescue you. I just need you to trust me. So be calm. And the people are like, yeah, maybe. And then he predicts that a woman who is presently a virgin will have a child. Not only will she have a child, but she will name that child Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. His name will be God with us. And number five, that child's birth will herald the salvation of a people. And it all happened. That was fulfilled for Ahaz. He watched it. He saw it with his own eyes. And then, 700 years later, something conspicuously similar also happened. And Matthew saw it. And Matthew, you guys, was so absolutely soaked in the Old Testament 
It's incredible. If you read his gospel, his story of Jesus' life, his whole thing is framed through the Old Testament. And he knew that there were all of these things that were so conspicuous, story after story after story after story, event and life and big little, little tiny details and big broad sweeping things. And when Jesus shows up, he's like, man, it is uncanny that constantly what we're seeing is a correspondence between the actual lived life of Israel and the life that Jesus shows up and lives. And it's as if Jesus is walking through the entire history of Israel and whatever they did, he super does. He fulfills and overfills the story of the life of Israel. And he does it like a jillion times. And Matthew is very fond of pointing them out. According to him, there are hundreds of times that the Old Testament establishes some pattern that it foreshadows, that it typifies what God would do, that God longs to save, he longs to redeem. And it's like he can't keep a secret. He keeps letting these hints slip of what he is someday going to do, how he would accomplish the great purpose of his heart. And so in Matthew chapter one, Matthew wrote the passage that Brian read to us, right? And so just to skip ahead a little bit, you know, Joseph catches wind that his fiance is pregnant. He's like, well, and he's gonna, he's gonna break up with her. He's going to move on. But then an angel appears to him and says, hang on, there's more going on than meets the eye. And in verse 20, it says, after he, this is Matthew 1, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. That's familiar. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So do you begin to see what Matthew saw? Okay, go back to that list again, okay? So look at this. Not only, in fact, go forward one slide. You don't have to go backward, but come forward. There's a people, right, who are in distress. We are a people who are in distress, Facing an enemy that can destroy us. In this instance, it's not, you know, Aram and Israel. It's sin. And to us, God says, trust me. I know it's a mess. But I have a plan. And I just want you to relax. It's going to be okay. And in fact, not just do I want you to trust me, that trusting Jesus is going to be the event upon which the entire thing hangs. And... Jesus' mom, notice this, she was a virgin, not just in the broadest sense and not just when the prophecy was given, but in the most exacting sense, she was a virgin when he was conceived and even still when he was born. And when he comes, he doesn't just bear the name God with us, nobody called him Emmanuel, but he was God with us, like explicitly, exactly, actually. He, he doesn't have the name, he fulfills the name. And not only that, but his birth was not merely the heralding of the salvation of the people. It was the salvation. What Matthew is observing, you guys, is that every key point of Isaiah 7, Jesus not only did, but he super did. He overdid. He fulfilled and overfilled the picture that God gave Isaiah. And you guys, that phenomena, it happens scores and scores of times. Over and over again, Jesus' whole life is this replay of the life of Israel. Dozens of events that were real in their own time, but which Jesus then comes and, and embodies that those foreshadowings point to him. And that 
is why, Mo, why Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You guys, this is really important. He's not, Matthew is not claiming that Isaiah 7 was a direct didactic prediction about the Messiah. He's saying it was one of scores of events that God intended to layer with meaning, the full understanding of which would not come to us until Jesus came and just crushes all of them. You guys, Jesus is, we could do this all day long. He is the true and better Moses who comes to lead his people out of slavery. He is the true and better Job. He is the innocent sufferer who is mocked and ridiculed despite his innocence. And once he is saved and rescued from that suffering, he returns to issue forgiveness and restoration to his mocking friends. He is the true and better Esther. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. But she didn't. Jesus said, when I perish, I perish. And he did. And he gives his life to rescue his people from certain destruction. Jesus is the true and better scapegoat. It is upon him that all of your blame and culpability is laid. He is the true and better temple. He is the place where heaven meets earth. He is the true and better Abel. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And every, guys, it's unbelievable. It's uncanny. It is extraordinary. It is these gold veins that run through the mountain, these gems that are hidden everywhere. The thing that every one of them shares in common is that they're pictures of Christ. The whole book is about him. The whole world is about him. You guys, you are about him. The book was written, the world was made, and you were made so that you might know him and see him and to delight in him. And what Matthew is saying is, did you see that? Did you see that? Because he did it again and again and again and again. He is the fulfillment of everything. He's the reason the world was made. You guys... This is not a simple answer. What I was looking for when I was a freshman in college was some little simple answer. When the Messiah comes, his mom will be a virgin. I did not find that, and it was disappointing to me. But I'm glad that I didn't because this is better. It is better. It requires more work. But if you will do, if you will put forward the energy to read and understand this book, oh my goodness, the reassurance that it gives and the hope that it brings, right? Many of you right now, right now, are in an Ahazi kind of moment. Are you not? Some of you, right now, we're celebrating Christmas, right? And we're longing for this fulfillment of God's great purposes and everything is great and Christmas is happy, right? He is letting these moments slip, these pictures of what he's going to do and we love it and Advent's wonderful because we're waiting and Christmas is great because God couldn't hold it in and the Old Testament's bristling with this and we can't wait for the morning that it all comes to pass. But in the midst of it, you're like, yeah, but really what I actually want is a job. Really what I actually want is that my kids would walk with Jesus. Really what I actually want is the diagnosis would come back the way that it would. Christmas is about that. It is about living here in this gap where Ahaz was. He's like, I know what you said, but I don't know if you're going to do it. Maybe. Is there any hope? Can you give me a sign? Can you give me some picture, some reason to believe that it's all true? Some of you know full well that you need a rescuer. Maybe for your sin, maybe for whatever situation you're in, to have your guilt erased or the relationship restored. But let me just tell you guys, there is a rescuer. 
There really is. And Ahaz's sign, the ultimate fulfillment of Ahaz's sign, can become your sign. Paul said, Well, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? The sign that God is with you is this. It is that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the fulfillment of the sign. It is because this actually happened that you can have hope that whatever distress you're facing, he will walk with you in it. Our purpose this morning as we gather is not just to be excited about Christmas. It's going to be fantastic. And there's so many things that are delightful. But to also pause and to say, I know there's a drama behind every face. And there are things that you're like, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I would invite you today to come forward and to kneel before him. And to say, God, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I want to trust you. But I'm afraid of this circumstance, right? Or maybe you're not afraid. You're like, I can see it. I, I, I trust him, I believe it, but you, there are people adjacent to you that don't. And your job is to be like the friends of the paralytic who believe on behalf of their friend, right? It may be that you come down here and you're gonna spend some time and you're gonna intercede on behalf of those who just need to know that it's all true and it's gonna be okay. Life is hard. Sometimes it's magnificent and incredibly fun, but it's often really difficult. So we invite you, come, and whatever you're carrying, whatever the people that you love are carrying, let's offer it to him and ask that this sign, the great sign of all signs, would give us the reassurance to walk with him in faith and to trust him at all. Jesus, we love you because you are everything our hearts desire. I don't know how you did it, but you did all of it. You were the one who Israel was sent off into the wilderness and you began your ministry in the wilderness. Israel was sent off into Egypt and you went into Egypt. Israel grumbled and complained and disobeyed and you came along and you danced their steps except you did perfectly what they failed to do. You are the true and better everything. We love you, we exalt you, we want to live our lives before your face. Would you give us courage and hope? Right now there are some heavy sleds being dragged around in this room. Would you give us grace to trust you Walk with us. We long to see you. Come soon. Amen.